Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on January the 10th, 2023. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and the one who helped me ring in the new year. Caffeine Rage? Uh, no, I didn't. Well, on the show, we're ringing in the new year now. Uh, by discussing our December Game Club two weeks into January, which was Titanfall I, I, 2. Hey, at least we're not as bad as Scott the Waz. Yeah. I don't know who that is. You'll have to explain that in a uh, moment. YouTuber that uh, released his Christmas episode like three days ago. Ah, I see. I, I need to absolutely love someone, what I say. I'll have to look him up. Also, on today's show, we will be going over our next Game Club game for January. Uh, Sony reveals the PlayStation 5's accessibility controller. And there is a new MechWarrior single-player game for PC and console in development. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Happy New Year, Rage. Uh, happy New Year, like a week and a half in. Yeah, also this isn't the first time that we've talked. And even if really? today was the first time we talked, this obviously wouldn't be the first things that we said to each other. No, we've so, just sat here in uh, you know, awkward silence the entire time. Yeah, mostly my fault. <laughs> um, uh, but, Like you could shut up. True, true. Unless I'm tired. Unless I fall asleep. That's how you get me to shut up. I fall asleep. But yeah. Uh, no, no, then you just snore. Yeah, sometimes. I'm Katie is definitely the worst snorer in my house. Um, Which you would not think by looking at her, but she is. She is a terrible snorer. Sometimes I know, it sounds like she's uh, pretty good at it, from what you say. You know what? You're right. She's an excellent snorer. Very loud. But, like, looking at the two of us, you would look at my fat ass and be like, oh, yeah, you definitely snore. But no, Katie snores horribly. But, uh, hi, sweetheart, I love you. You don't listen to the show? I could say literally anything I wanted about you, and you would never know unless one of them told you. But it's no secret. I tell her to her face that she snores really badly, and she has accepted it. But, yes, dear listeners, you listen to Franken episodes for two weeks. Uh, one of those was unintentional. One was intentional. Originally, this was going to be a Franken episode, but my flight home from Colorado had to be earlier. It got uh, rescheduled or canceled, whatever. Um, and so we scheduled an earlier flight back from visiting my in-laws. Earlier trebuchet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we flew Southwest, and, you know, most airlines suck, honestly. And Southwest has many, many problems. But Southwest does do one thing that's pretty good, which is that you can do checked bags at no additional cost. I'm sure they build it in there somewhere. I'm sure you're paying for it um, and they hide it, but it still works out to be cheaper than other airlines without going super hardcore budget. Yeah, uh, You know, Frontier, JetBlue, that kind of thing. So, um, but Southwest had a big fucky-wucky, and when that big uh, winter storm front blew across the U.S. Uh, at this point, like three weeks ago now, uh, they had to cancel something like 3,000 flights on their own. And kind of they were trying to make up for that by rescheduling and combining and shuffling flights around. So when we came back from visiting my in-laws, uh, we had to come back early. So you still got two Franken episodes instead of three. But if there hadn't been some stuff on your end, we would have actually done the December Game Club episode yeah, December. I had the niece uh, 
uh, stay over for a couple of days and found out about it that Saturday. That was most likely Sunday was the definite. So, yeah. All right. Yep. So, which was perfectly fine. Yeah. I mean, family stuff, right? Absolutely. But we're back. Uh, I'm going to stop rambling about all of this because you probably I mean, started hearing I'm, of it. I mean, we still got the same exact number of uh, of uh, freaking episodes that we planned for. We did. They just didn't happen exactly the way we planned for them to. But could be way worse. There could be way worse reasons for Franken content or whatever. Yeah, it could be way worse. This could be a video podcast. This could be a video podcast. Although, I'm painting right now. That's become my new thing while we while we record is that I paint. Um instead of like just sitting here staring at my computer or wandering off to Twitter or whatever to yell into the void. Uh it makes me feel a lot better to paint than to yell into the void. But mini miniature painting is really popular on Twitch. I'm not gonna do it. Fuck that. This is my my private time with my best friend to share with our audience um while I paint minis, but I'm not just gonna like go on Twitch and stream that. I'm painting narwhals right now. That's my thing is narwhals. I got derailed again. I was going to say, <laughs> hey, Rach, why don't we go talk about Game Club? You want to go talk about Game Club? Uh, sure. Okay. So Game okay, Club. Okay, Bob Ross. I, I do have my uh, hut from Star Wars Bob Ross figure that I'm painting right now after the narwhals. Like, it's the two narwhals and then... Uh, you, you need the Bob Ross Chia pet. <laughs> Chia. So, anyway. uh, since we got off the rails again. Yeah, anyways, for the uninitiated, if you happen to be uninitiated at this point, Game Club is designed for Rage and I and any participating members in the audience who want to um, to play the same game at the same time and then talk about it uh, on the show. We do play a lot more of the same games than we used to, but Game Club is is more specific. We pick these games out in advance for lots of reasons. Um, and for December, we picked Titanfall 2. Um, we picked it for two reasons. One, it's, it's shorter. Um, the, the single player campaign is shorter and we knew December was going to be a crunched month with Christmas and everything going on. But two, neither of us uh, had played it before. Sometimes one or even both of us had played the games before. Um, but neither of us had played this and we have heard for years how good and innovative of a first person shooter Titanfall and Titanfall two were for its time. And so this is one of those things of like, okay, let's see that one does the game seem to play well in year of our Lord current year. Um, and two, this would be past year, (laughs) right? True. And two, how well does it in this case, um, live up to, the hype and the expectations uh, game club is full of spoilers. And since this was a single player game, um, there will be spoilers. Although the story is interesting. There, there are some it's interesting kind of characters and some interesting situations. It is kind of generic um, as far as action shooter stories go. I mean, it's so, not as generic as like a call of duty uh, story, but no. or, or I guess I should say battlefield because call of duty, it's more like, Generic after you took the LSD. Yeah. So, broad strokes right off the top of your head, or right, you know, right, right off the jump. Did you like it 
all the way through from start to finish? Did you like the For game? the most part. There were sections that frustrated me. But that's more akin to first-person platforming areas than anything else. And yeah. my, my, my kind of broad strokes is that the Titanfall, uh, yeah, like universe, world, whatever, is an incredibly interesting uh, world that's wasted on a multiplayer-focused game. Yes. Um, for anyone who isn't aware, Titanfall 1 um, was multiplayer only. It had this sort of campaign multiplayer mode where that there was a small amount of story dotted between something like eight or ten different missions, and you would play one side or the other. There's two sides to this war, the the Frontier Militia and the, what is it, IMF? IMC or something IMC. like that. Yeah, which uh, is uh, kind of like... Uh, evil McBad guys. Yeah, evil McBad corporation guys who run space. Um, and the, uh, the most of the main characters that we see as like our... Um, uh, at least two of the antagonists from the mercenary team are in the first game. Yeah, can you force? You're right. Your commander, um, not the captain who dies, spoilers, in the first mission, um, but the fleet commander. I can't remember her name. Uh, Sarah um, something. Yeah, it's been just long enough for me that I can't remember character names um, other than your character who's named Cooper and then BT, which is your Titan AI. Mm-hmm. But um, they're they're both prominent, you know, Sarah quote unquote, Yeah, they're both quote-unquote prominent characters in the first game, as in they have lines over the comms based on whether or not you win or lose the missions. In, in the first one's multiplayer campaign mode. But I mean, that's it. That's as far as the story goes in the first game. Otherwise, it just sets up the really interesting universe. And then Titanfall 2 actually gives you something to do with it. And I do agree. I feel like this universe is largely wasted. There are the two console games, which I guess did come to PC. And then there is the mobile game, um, which is a uh, Clash Royale-style game where you have you know cards with costs and you drop them in over the course of the game and you're trying to take out the opponent's leader um i think there was a book and some comics like some tie-in comics or something that were released although honestly so many games do little tie-ins like that i could be mixing this up with another game but that's that's it there have been no other games released to date although there is a third one that was announced and is in development right now um yeah and I think that the Titanfall universe would be really a really good setting for a real time strategy game. But we'll, I guess, come to why I think that over the course of time, I do do agree with your point that the universe is largely wasted. Um, the the background setting for the universe is again I mean, generic. Honestly, uh, I would like to see even. Uh, <sighs> Drop of the multiplayer is probably a death sentence these days, but less emphasis on the multiplayer and or hell, make it a co-op thing and do a story based first person st- yeah, shooter story. Yeah. Um, the the universe in setting that or the universe in question, just to kind of give you you guys listening a primer, if you don't know, um, generic space evil corporation. Wayland Utani. This game's Wayland Utani, 
basically colonized space and is in control of everything once you get far enough past sort of the Earth-controlled regions of space. Um, they provided support to all of the outer colonies for a long time, and then they withdrew their support to tax them uh, because they were, were, you know, according to the corporation, not carrying their fair share. The frontier colonies didn't like this. They banded together and created their own militia forces and started fighting back. And because of the complexities of warfare, which I do kind of like this, um, the fact that they're fighting on their home turf and they don't have these ridiculous supply chains to maintain, they're able to win because they can easily replace, relatively speaking, they can easily replace their losses, whereas the IMF or IMC has to wait for years to get reinforcements shipped from their intercolony manufacturing facilities, because we're talking distances of, you know, hundreds of light years. And so Titanfall 2 picks up several years past, uh, I think it says in the opening crawl, it's 15 years, although it might have been five years. There's a five involved. After the end of Titanfall 1, the war has been progressing. The militia is slowly but surely winning because of this reason, because it's easier for them to replace their losses on home turf. And the IMC is starting to go, you know, super evil bad guy. Well, shit, we can't do it with good tactics and good soldiering. Let's build a super weapon. Yeah, time to destroy some planets. Yep, so they build basically the death star i mean they they it, it's, it's not, not a de- quite the death star the idea is that it's uh essentially taking space and kind of flicking it so uh matter goes poof yeah but i mean for all intents and purposes it's a giant space gun that blows up planets mm-hmm. but and- it's planet side that's the kind of the interesting thing it's more like the death star or analog in the sequel trilogy in Star Wars? Starkiller Base. Yeah, uh, well, I, I couldn't think of the name of it because, honestly, about two-thirds of the way through the first movie, I realized, I've seen this movie before. It was re- released in the 70s. Yeah, Starkiller Base uh, is what it is in the sequel trilogy. But you, the, the story itself takes place as you being Cooper, who is played by Matt Mercer. I didn't realize that at first. I'm not as much of a Matt Mercer fan. I don't watch Critical Role. But in the, in the credits, it's Matt Mercer who plays uh, Cooper, which is, is, is your protagonist. Cooper is an infantryman, just a rifleman. But he shows potential as a possibly talented mech pilot. Um, they're just called pilots in Titanfall. And so one of the commanding officers, um, Soldier McDadface, I can't remember his name either. Um, see, very generic Lata, story. Lattimosa. I'm sorry, what? Lastimosa. Lastimosa? Yeah. It's, it's the guy who dies. Is that his name? Uh, I think so. Okay, well, he's he's one of the Titan commanders, rear pilots, um, who's in charge of this, like, you know, recon force. He sees you as having potential, and he's training you to be a pilot. Put so it the, off the books, though. Yeah, the game opens up with you doing sim training, and that serves as the the tutorial for the movement system and kind of basic controls. Um, and then you get dropped planet side to do a battle. The first five, maybe ten minutes of that first mission, you are just a regular infantryman, which feels like playing Call of Duty. 
which yeah. I think is very interesting. It's slow. It's deliberate. It it handles well. It's not bad, but it's such a sharp contrast both to what you were doing in the tutorial and what you're going to do for the rest of the game. But it is the the game mechanics are pretty solidly designed. Um because even that section of the game is decently enjoyable and can be I think replayed um and you can just test out a few different things there. But uh then, you know, the the, the bad guys, the Ginyu Force, as you called them, gets introduced. I mean, it's not it's not wrong. Uh, the no. Apex Predators. Yeah. Well, which, yeah, this is the same developer that, that's doing Apex Legends, so, alright. Yeah. But uh, they kill your commanding officer, they nearly destroy the mech, BT, you're, um, you almost die, you get saved, the mech saves you, he becomes your mech, and then you go through the rest of the campaign where that you track down the super weapon, um, and ultimately stop it, and um, uh, and become best friends with your uh, new twenty five foot tall friend. Yep, your new twenty five foot tall, forty ton uh, mech, BT. Um, the the st- the intro has the most characterization. After that, there are story beats that it pulls. <clears throat> There's one level in particular that I think we'll we'll talk about. I guess we could go level by level and talk about them a little bit. I'm thinking about the time travel level. Spoilers. Yeah. Time travel. Um, that's probably the level that gets the most characterization for the rest of the game until the end. The most stuff story-wise happens in that level. But it it does a kind of a second tutorial where it eases you back into the jump mechanics. I guess if you either skip the first tutorial or really struggled through it. Um, and I, I am grateful that they had the ghosts because uh, that first map, that first area is, it might just be the fact that, yeah, the first time playing it, then I didn't play Titanfall one. So there was a lot of times that, yeah, my, uh, dumb brain forgot oh yeah i could uh wall run yeah you know, like you know 60 70 feet and make that uh get over there instead of how the fuck am i supposed to do that let's talk right? about that for a minute titanfall's party piece is its movement system um probably the easiest way to to describe it is like um brink on steroids yeah yeah uh, uh, parkour on steroids if you'd ever played brink uh, it's, you know, takes, th- think of the biggest montage of, uh, parkour off YouTube and then, you know, uh, multiply it by 10, you know, people wall running, you know, you know, easily a hundred feet, uh, double jumping, uh, going in between walls, sliding, uh, building up momentum. It has a kind of a tribes X system in it as well, well, as well, where, as you perform these advanced uh, acrobatics, uh, two, well, two things happen. One, you obviously get uh, uh, harder to hit, especially in single player, where you know it kind of gives a like a negative uh, aim multiplier to uh, the bots. But also, you know, you start building up more and more speed, and you're maintaining that speed. And there's certain areas in the single player where if you're not very good at chaining together the, these uh, different movement styles, it is a lot harder than you know, it would be otherwise. 
It's not impossible, but it does make it a lot harder on you. To be clear, are you still talking about Brink, or have you switched back to talking about Titanfall? Uh, I, was, I, was, I, I was talking. About, I was talking about Titanfall. Uh, I was just okay. using Brink as a kind of a jumping off point. Got you. I'm tracking. <clears throat> just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Um, but the movement system really is its party piece. Um, as far as game mechanics go, its weapons are fine. The, you know, the different types of guns and the way they function is fine. They all make sense. Um, you know, the abilities that you get are fine. That's all functional. The movement system really is the party piece. And if the movement doesn't work, like so much of the game is designed around this movement system. Every level after... I mean, really, also including the first one, but with yeah, the first a- one being the after one that... the after essentially the prologue, the yeah. pro uh, well even well okay, uh, sim prologue. Then you have a short time where you're uh, soldier big soldier face, right? Then it, after you uh, beat BT and you're given the link uh, from his former pilot uh, with his dying breath. Uh, he, you get a bit of time where the suit is, you know, getting used to you, essentially. And it's slowly unlocking the different uh, mechanics of the uh, movement system that you practiced in the uh, uh, holographic uh, zone. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, I wasn't used to it yet, so there was kind of that moment of, you know, uh, well, where am I supposed to go? Uh, ignoring the fact that, okay... Wall run up, double jump across, uh, right? Yeah, but that yeah. that's that one's more on me, and I think it's just maybe uh, dropping you in a little too much at the very beginning. Yeah, the the first level, I I will say I I I'm not quite finished with my point, but I will say that first level one feels much more open than the rest of the game actually is. I don't know if that's the level design, if that's intentional. Or what, but the first level feels very open, which is confusing in and of itself. I struggled with that a little bit at the beginning. And then yeah, you're you're still getting used to the system. But but the point that I'm that I'm making, I'm I'm gonna finish this up and then we can move on, is that <clears throat> the game really focuses on that movement system and every level for the rest of the game is designed to add more and more complexity to it um and if it like fucks that up then the it the game is ruined and i don't think that it ever fucks it up the the initial the first level is a little confusing and then there's one other level that i had kind of a hard time with for a minute there was kind of two for me but it's more you know missing a uh hallway essentially yeah. So, yes. Um, uh, well, uh, since we're on the first level, uh, this is also where it introduces you to the collectibles. Can, can we talk about the collectibles real quick? Sure. I never, I didn't get very many of them. I didn't actively look for them. Did you yeah, get a bunch well, of them? I only got a few, and I looked into what they actually do, and they're pointless. Uh, it's kind of, uh, the idea of it is... You're finding pilots' helmets that are all over the place uh, for an achievement, or you know, a handful of achievements. And that's it. It's not like Halo, where you, know, you can find the skulls, you know, for you know, different types of multipliers and modes. Yeah. And it just feels like 
they missed the point of a collectible system. Of, you know, having some sort of interesting, like, lore or backstory. Or because, interesting gameplay mechanic. Because mm-hmm. the Halo yeah. collectibles are very much gameplay focused. Getting yeah. the skulls. Yeah, and uh, the fact that it's also pilot helmets really feels like there should have been, like, an audio log or some sort of, you know, like, backstory or expanded lore that tied into it that just never happens. And yeah. It feels, it feels like a lot of, like, you know, essentially the Titanfall universe, a missed opportunity. And I know I'm ragging on it as a, and it's a very minor thing in the game, but it's kind of uh, galling to me that they didn't do something with that. And I just wanted to get that out there before, you know, forgot about it. And, you know, level one, you know, there are several times that, uh, yeah, right there on the path is a, uh, one of the, uh, helmets. So, right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Level one, I got the most in level one because it, it drops two, I think, or maybe three, right? In your path. There's three, uh, total. And I think you come across two right away. Yeah. I found maybe six or seven collectibles for the whole game, and every level has got two or three in it. So, uh, the, a couple of the last ones have like eight or nine. Okay, I didn't realize there were that many in some of them. I I wasn't looking. Uh, the, the 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 one that you are on the uh, the satellite dish, there's nine on that level. Gotcha. And the only reason why I know that is I took the took a wrong turn there, and I found one, and it said one of that nine. Well, okay. <laughs> let's let's <clears throat> we've been talking about this for like. 15 or 20 minutes now. And while we have passingly said the word mech several times, we haven't talked about that at all, which I think is, is pretty interesting for the game because it's very sparing with how much mech time you get. Uh, at least um, in the single player. Yeah. Right up until the end of the game. I mean, there are sections where you get to use the mech. The mech feels special. I think it, it, they hit. It, it feels okay to me. And okay. I think it's just the fact that whenever you're usually in the mech, it's either to get through a environmental obstacle or you're fighting other mechs or an otherwise overwhelming force. So you, you never feel significantly overpowered. And mm-hmm. to me, that kind of took away a little bit of it where, you know, I, I want that moment of, uh, you know, you know, feeling uh, God mode to be uh, brought back down. And I just never got that with the, the mech. Interestingly, I felt overpowered as fuck every time they give you the mech, except for the final section of the game where that you you actually do Titanfall and assault the base. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's there's it's all the mechs. You drop with all the mechs and you spend... Oh, I, I didn't really care for that part because I kept having my teammates running in front of me. That's the that's the area of the game I had the most difficulty with. I had to to redo that several times because I kept dying. But every other time that that you're in the Titan, um, uh, I won't say every, almost every other time that you're in the Titan, I felt special and overpowered. I just played on normal difficulty. Yeah, I played um, on normal as well, and and it just didn't uh, it didn't click that for me. The way that, so the way that, that it works, um, at least in the single player, is that you've got a, a number of loadouts. Um, the BT, I forget what the class of Titan it is, but Vanguard. You're, yeah, the Vanguard Titan 
is special in the lore because most of the Titans are designed as is. And there's a small amount of interchangeability they can have. But if you get a Titan that's, you know, equipped with missiles and machine guns, that's pretty much what you got. But the Vanguard Titan is designed to be modular so that it can accept different loadouts and tackle different mission parameters on a single platform. Um, and so throughout the game, you unlock Which different... makes you wonder why they don't do that for more of them, but eh. Yeah. But throughout the game, you unlock different loadouts for your Titan. Um, in single player, you cannot mix and match. You get, you know, you can choose between the loadouts, but you can't pick specific things. In multiplayer, that's different. You can design your own loadouts. Yeah, which um, I actually missed one of the loadouts in single player. Really? I didn't know you could miss I, one of them. I missed the Ion, which I think is in uh, Affected Calls. Yeah, that's the laser one, right? Well, I don't oh, wait, remember you didn't laser, have it. The, so. the Ion's the laser one. Um, honestly, the Ion was my least favorite. The one I kind of uh, went with was the semi-auto uh, uh, machine gun. Until the, yeah. yeah, right there, the, that last assault. That, that you hit three times, you get a lock on and yeah, throw a burst of missiles. Yeah. I went with the one that had the missile launcher, um, like as its primary weapon. It would either shoot four, three or four rockets mm-hmm. at a time, or you could hold down the left trigger and it had an alternate fire where it fired its missiles and in a stream, more rapid fire style. But that one had a flight mode that you could activate for a little while. Um, and so it had some more mobility options. I found the sniper to be useful sometimes. The uh, the gauze rifle. <laughs> yeah. It's powerful. Um I used it a, a few times, yeah, but typically I would I would stick with that missile launcher one. Um but anyways, I, I did feel like the Titan was pretty special because of like, you know, sort of the lore behind them, and at least playing on normal difficulty, until you get to the end of the game and, and the boss fights. You are much more powerful than all the Titan, the normal Titans on the field. And you can just absolutely wipe the floor with the infantry units. Um, literally, you can like run over them and squish them. Um, and then well, there was your- one point that BT was talking about uh, me uh, shooting them uh, once again at the uh, satellite uh, uh, level. And he was talking about how, you know, my, you know, uh, 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 frame would make a, a, a much more <laughs> effective weapon against these uh, than, you know, shooting them individually. Never mind the yeah. fact that I was, you know, shooting them with an explosive bullet, but right. Yeah. So I, I think that's interesting, though. I mean, I guess that just speaks to either our different interests in the mechs itself, because, I mean, that could be it for me. It also could be that, I mean, it is, it does play, I won't say it controls drastically differently, but you are much more limited in your mobility compared to being a pilot. And I think that juxtaposition is on purpose. Like, you're, the the Titans still feel pretty mobile. It's not like you're super duper lumbering and slow or yeah, it's whatever. Not but warrior. No, but it's, it's also. A, it's not Mecha either. No, it's not Mecha. So. You you're still not as fast or maneuverable as you are on foot. They don't feel as satisfying to uh, pilot as it is to run around on levels. The weapons 
you know, we each had a favorite loadout, and I think most people will have a favorite loadout. Um, so you can't do as much with that as you can mixing and matching the different weapons as a pilot. So I, I think about 20% of the game is in the Titan, and then the rest of it is on foot. I think that ratio works pretty well, but, you know, obviously that's... I do appreciate a, them not, yeah, throwing you in the Titan all the time. Uh, yeah. But like I said, the, there was only like certain areas that really did feel special to me. Otherwise, it was, eh, it, this is a bad, but, all right. Yeah. So, any, before we talk about the time travel level. Yeah, because I, the, yeah, the next like couple levels uh, are just kind of like introductions. Um, I have the level list. So, uh, Blood and Rust is essentially, yeah. Yeah, where you steal a radio from. You have your first really big boss fight, which you know kind of decimated him. Yeah, you're fighting through a basically like a big waste management plant. There's more to it than that, but that it feels very much just like you're fighting through the sewers. Um, yeah, which uh, it was fine. That yeah, level was fine. Yeah, then into the abyss, which, eh, all right. Is that the factory? Uh, no, the factory is after affected calls. Okay, it, it, it doesn't bode well for some of the uh, the level design, huh? The, uh, the that, levels I uh, remember the, the, they're they're good. It's just it, it's where they're so disconnected, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're very clearly. I think the best way to 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 explain them. Is they're like sort of amusement park rides, most of mm -hmm. them, to show to showcase the movement system in some way, or to okay. teach oh, okay. you so, something for the rest okay, of so, the game. So, so into the abyss that that's uh, uh, the factory. So it's right before affecting calls. Uh, it's a. Uh, do you want to talk about that one first? Since that's next up, uh, which yeah, what which uh, which level is that though? Uh, that that's the one where uh, where you're in the dumb at one point. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, where where you're going through and you're uh, they're building these large uh, yeah essentially panels with different okay. things on them. That's that's it, what it, I'm calling the factory level. Yeah, that one was excellent. I I was uh, yeah. I, I found it interesting. There was a couple of jumps that I had trouble with, but I think it was not me not chaining them together correctly. So or me, appro level or me approaching it uh, incorrectly. Uh, uh, OSHA needs to take a look at this level, though, because uh, <laughs> yeah, th this this place is as death uh, as a death trap as iron production is for me and satisfactory. Yeah. So what this level is, is they're building prefab, prefab structures for I think for terraforming, although the the uh, it was the, training uh, uh, simulations. Well, yes, the lay the mercenary lady is using them that way, but I think mm -hmm. that this is supposed to be for for some type of terraforming facility, or perhaps to like send these prefab structures out for colonization efforts. And she has turned the factory into basically a playground where that she can run tests and simulations on people. Combat tests specifically, but I mean you're moving the through prisoners. this, yeah, prisoners, and you're moving through this factory complex, and it's it's a really interesting idea. And you sometimes you have to move along or, or with the things that are being produced, and so 
you know, again, it's a way to showcase the movement system. The platforms will will turn vertical, or they'll go on their side, or they'll flip over. Or they'll they'll maneuver in such a way to give you a better platform to jump off of or between. Sometimes you'll have to very quickly jump off and use the double jump to avoid getting crushed by something. And there are enemies fighting you the whole way. Um, many yeah. of them though can just be bypassed. You can just use your your movement to or cloak. Yeah, or cloak. Um. Oh yeah, yeah that's I, a I mechanic. Have... You can turn invisible for like three seconds to get out of a sticky situation. Yeah, which we completely ne- uh, neglected to talk about because I pretty much just used it if I took a big hit to you know uh, hi- uh, to turn a corner and uh, wipe the st- uh, raspberry jam off of the camera. Yeah, same. Because yeah, regenerating health. Uh, this was one level I had trouble with, but it wasn't for. Okay, I failed to jump, and it put me back at a checkpoint where there was an enemy shooting at me. The checkpoint system is sometimes a dick in this game. And I would uh, load up the game, and I'd have, like, half health. Or, you know, you know obviously, you know, it, it, there's no health bar, but, you know, it, uh, in these, you know, Call of Duty-esque shooters where... You know, as you get shot, you know, you get, like, the red ring of death like you're a fucking Xbox. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you're you're overheating. Uh, chill, chill out, dude. You're coming in, and there's, like, it respawned me with the enemy behind me shooting at me. Yeah. I don't know why, because I killed that enemy before I... Well, what happened was there was, like, it was a double jump onto a wall uh, run, double jump across, and... There was a few times in this game that I would swear I made the correct inputs and be like, okay, well, I'm just going to face plant into this and slide off. I'm not sure if just me sucking at it, if it's just, you know, the, the game is, the, the movement system is more designed for uh, a controller versus mouse and keyboard because there's a couple areas where there was some very, like, quick uh, movements uh, going back and forth that feels like it needed more nuance than what the you know digital control of a keyboard would uh, really lend itself to. I have to say I did play the whole game keyboard and mouse without some of these same problems. Or I'll just suck at first person platforming which is also a possibility. Yeah. But possibly. yeah. The, this level I had trouble with because uh, yeah, a checkpoint dicked me over. Yeah. But I, I did really like what what is the level called? Into the abyss. Into the abyss. The factory level. That's how I think of it. As yeah, the, this the is where BT level. gets uh, captured by a robotic arm and his uh, you know, log in between loading sections of the map is you know, a, you know starting attempt thirty seven to free myself. Attempt failed. Starting attempt thirty eight. Attempt failed. And it's like redefining what a shortcut is, <laughs> which I thought that was cute. Yeah, this was. Uh, yeah, you're still trying to catch up with the commanding officer uh, to carry out the mission of finding out what the fuck is going on here. Very important that that finding out what the fuck is going on. But uh, okay, what's the next level? Is that uh, that's affecting calls? That's the time travel level. So this is the level that everyone talks about when they do reviews of this game. Yeah, this is the one that I didn't know about coming in because I never really d- looked into it. Okay, so I mean, for effect and cause, um, 
you get to a research facility and as part of the Titanfall lore, there are time anomalies that exist that certain like high energy levels can cause. And they, I mean, this is something that happened like off screen. Um, I, like I looked this up because um, I didn't remember it from the first campaign. And like, this is all stuff that happened off screen. Um, the frontier colonies discovered how to manipulate those fields. They couldn't create them, but if they were inside of them, they could manipulate them. So they designed this device, um, which is basically a toggle. Like you get one at the beginning of this level. Yeah. Well, it's probably about 10 minutes into it. So you catch up to Anderson or at least, you know, Anderson's corpse. Uh, turns out he's dead, by the way. Yep. And he's also, you know, stuck in the ceiling. Uh, you take his helmet off, take it back to BT for him to analyze, and you find out what Anderson's mission was because uh, the entire time you're trying to catch up to him to essentially regroup because the fleet got jumped and basically sc- uh, scattered the forces and... Uh, through the magic of being the protagonist, you know, you're the only one that survived, right? Right, and he's next up the chain of command. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to you're trying to link up with him to get new orders, basically. Continue the mission. Uh, and you're basically uh, taking over Anderson's mission at this point, because uh, his uh, mission was to infiltrate this facility and figure out what's going on. And he's given this device that they somehow figured out uh, yeah, how to, <laughs> right? How manipulate. to manipulate time. Right. And, uh, it, and, a, and a handy watch. Yep. And it basic it, it allows you to go between the present time and then a specific time in the past. Um, and you have to use this mechanic in order to make your way through the facility, follow the the commander's footsteps, figure out what the mission was, um and also uh you know calls the you know issue that you know that uh calls the issue that the uh, facility gets blown up in the first place. Yeah, one of those weird, you know, one of those time travel loop things where yeah. you you cause the effect or or in a way Anderson did, you kind of finished it or Yeah. Just right. Yeah, it's it's a little unclear oh, on that. Little wibbly wobbly Tommy Wami. Yeah, which is okay. But the reason that everyone talks about it is it at least in all of the previous um, you know, podcasts and reviews and stuff that I have heard on this, is having to to mid jump, so mid parkour, swapping back and forth between the timelines, because in one of the timelines Either the structure is not there that you need, or it is there, but it's on fire, or or something like that. And also using that for combat, because you wind up fighting the security forces in the past, and then animals that have started overrunning the facility in the present, plus remaining security bots. And so, when you transition back and forth between time, you can kind of buy yourself a reprieve. And it time stops in whichever time period you're not in so you can use that to um, get the jump on opponents or if which you're this being... is also one of those times that the gimmick replaces you know your you know, something in this case your uh, invisibility yeah 
And so I I found that really interesting. I found it compelling gameplay, especially it the the fighting more so than the than the parkour aspect. That was interesting and that was fun. Um and a couple of parts I had to take a couple of tries at because I got my timing off or something, and so I would swap oh, that back. G- that goddamn uh, 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 ventilation shaft where you have to swap back and forth like four or five times. Yeah, and you're speeding up all the way down. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, sometimes I get my timing off and I'd have to retry or something, you know. But for the most part, like that was fine, but. I thought the combat scenes were that in the past you were fighting the security forces and in the present you were fighting those like, I don't know, wolf lizard things um, were really interesting because they had two different fighting styles. You know, uh, the the animals were very aggressive charging towards you, whereas the soldiers used more, you know, obviously kind of the shootery mechanics and you couldn't really stay put in either one and you'd constantly be moving around and swapping forth between times. I found that really a really interesting combat mechanic. Plus, that's where you get most of the story dumped on you, which is the rest of the story is that the IMC has discovered this ancient technology. They don't know I'm if it's say it's uh, no, they said it's aliens. Oh, did they? Yeah, uh they uh said alien technology. Oh, okay. I must have missed that or misheard or something but okay so they find ancient alien technology that they believe they can turn into a weapon to destroy planets and you get essentially the backstory on this weapon and some information about the imc and then you're you're trying to either stop it or figure out how you can track it so that you can stop it in the present and then as a result you wind up causing the uh the explosion that destroys the facility in the first place. Whoops. Yeah, whoops. But it's a very interesting level. I can see why, especially at the time, people talked about it so much. I think Dishonored 2 did something like this as well. Um, yeah, I know that there's a time travel level in that one that got high praise, but I guess I was out of the loop, or the time loop for this one. Well, the two of those, the Dishonored one and and the Titanfall one, both got compared um, and contrasted a lot because the games came out at, at relatively the same time, um, and they would have both been in development at the same time. But they um, they got compared and contrasted a lot, and you know, some people said Titanfall was better, some people said Dishonored was better, but that it was an interesting idea, and I can't think of another game where it gets done other than those two. And it, it might be. It might be in other games, and I just don't realize it, but I can't think of another one. Yeah, it's not a mechanic that gets used too often, at least in, like, this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know that... Uh, uh, damn, I know this. Try, trying to think of the name of the game, but it's not quite the same way it's done anyway. There was one where there was a little bit of time travel, but nothing like that, so... But now I'm blanking on the name of the game anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I can definitely see why this gets a lot of uh, talk. Especially like that end sequence, where you're suddenly in the opening credits to Deadpool, where you're at, where time has stopped, right? Yeah, where time has just stopped. Um, but, uh, yeah. Then, then what's the next level? Uh, let's see. The next level is the beacon, which is the, uh, Sat- uh, satellite dish. So basically, you're you, you scanned uh, you know the big bad uh, MacGuffin weapon 
or sorry, the the weapons MacGuffin to be able to uh, figure out where the real MacGuffin is because, you know, oops, kind of blew up the prototype, which, uh, yeah, your presence there made them uh, basically uh, start their test for some reason and not do any of the safety protocols. Uh, I know, big evil corporation, don't need to question it, right? Yeah. So you're basically uh, uh, in the plot of Star Wars at this point, and you're trying to get the, uh, you know, the plans to the Death Star <laughs> uh, to the Republic, right? I, that's literally what you're doing. Yeah, you're trying to transmit these plans to the fleet so that they can it, come. It, it's an know. old trope, but it te- checks out. Yeah. So you uh, come across this uh, interstellar beacon uh, that would hopefully uh, contact uh, uh, any fleet that survived the you know, ambush, or failing that, be able to transmit uh, to Harmony, which is the home world, which they, uh, th- there's a big leak of, leap of logic here that uh, they're assuming that they're, that they're going to go after Harmony. I mean, to be fair, they are going after Harmony, but right... <laughs> But yeah, there's no evidence that points to that. They just assume, oh, they're going to attack this specific planet. Yeah, they're going to attack the, our home world. Uh, I mean, sure, but yeah, right? They have a lot of other planets, too. Like, this is a multi-planet, multi-solar system coalition. But, eh, right. So, uh, you come across the facility, it's being attacked, uh, you've thwart the attackers. Uh, you are sent into the bowels of the facility to uh, get the MacGuffin for uh, this you know, level, the arc uh, tool, to be able to, one, kickstart the generator uh, and you know, uh, grow, uh, grow a thumb out of your forehead with all the radiation. Right? Hey, yep. <laughs> and, I and, that yeah. joke. Uh, and, yeah, and, you know, some Titanfall uh, uh, cancer. Or, or 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 would that be Call of Duty? <laughs> Probably, maybe both. And uh, then, <laughs> uh, okay. So when they're doing that big, you know, you know, you know, counting up the power, uh, it's like, and you're just standing there with the <laughs> with the satellite dish perfectly in frame in the window and the other. Yeah, doing the slow count out of uh, the power levels. It's like, okay. What's going to go enti- wrong? Is the entire thing going to explode? Is it going to be like a little poof? Because, yeah, it's, yeah, they have that frame too perfectly, right? Yeah. And it gets to 90% and, uh, and the magic smoke comes out. <laughs> uh, so then you're sent up the uh, satellite dish. Uh, and this is kind of the first pl- uh, time that you're given the fastball special as well. Yeah, where uh, BT picks you up and throws where you. BT picks you up and throws you. Uh, which they name it the fastball later on the, uh, in the story. But uh, you, you kind of have a quip earlier uh, in affecting calls where you know you're throw- he throws this like lamp post or something uh, into the uh, into this giant hole in the building, and you you know zip line up. Yeah, and, and you, you quip, like, oh, maybe next time you could throw me. Understood. <laughs> right? Yeah. So then he does. Um, several times, actually. Se- several times, yeah. Uh, and this is uh, 
one where I got kind of turned around for a while because uh, fights on in this uh, area could get very clusterfucky uh, with just how many uh, enemies you're fa- facing in such a kind of enclosed space. So I tried to run past them and kind of went into another group of enemies and then kind of uh, ping pong back and forth between those and missed like this uh the yeah missed the fact that oh there's another crane up above me right yeah well you can also in this section use the arc tool to activate yeah, I, security yeah, droids to help you yeah i got the pod piper and ribba army achievements yeah me too which that was fun yeah um, although was- uh, although they didn't do jack shit but eh. This was another pretty memorable parkour section to me. Yeah. Um, but the overall level here was kind of like the, the story progression is like, all right, I guess I'll go fix the thing since I'm the only one who can do it. And then you did some cool parkour. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, y- you know, that's that's that you f- you fix it. Um, there's a cool scene where BTC saves you as you are about to fall to your death. Um, you know, pretty cool, pretty cool little first person thing where he grabs you, like, as you're dangling over the edge. Yeah, Cause well, even though he, you have a jet pack, it's more of like a, a boost as opposed yeah, to a constant or, or a double jump. Yeah. Uh, it, well, BT was nice and he did, uh, put in the, uh, requisite, uh, forms to, uh, get me some new underwear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, the next supply drop in, you know, a, a few weeks, you know, have a new pair of tardy whiteys, but just one because it's, it's BT, right? Yeah. Uh, prepare for tidy fall. They only say that once in the campaign, prepare for Titanfall. Yeah. That was like a huge, uh, like uh, that's uh, a uh, multiplayer uh, tagline. Yeah. Well, it's also, uh, you know, uh, at the beginning, but it's not you that's taking part in it. Right. Um, okay. What's the next level? Uh, let's see. Next up is Trial by Fire, which that is, uh, that's the one with all the pipe work. Okay. I don't, I don't remember anything super special about that one, honestly. Uh, it, it, it was kind of a forgettable one, especially after the previous, you know, several. Uh, it's the first one where you're with the commander. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, uh, it's your first Titanfall. It's the one with the, all the other mechs as well. Oh, okay. That's that level. Okay. Yeah, but... I didn't like that level very much. <laughs> and it's the one that focuses exclusively, at least in the beginning, yeah. on doing a big Titanfall battle. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that very much. The spectacle's pretty cool for a little bit, and then it just kind of oh, wanes. For, for me, it's... Yo, I'm fighting someone and somebody gets in my way. Uh, one of my uh, allies. Yeah. It, it, yo, it's yo. I just popped a uh, you know a big ability and uh yeah my big salvo rockets just you know bounces off the uh their uh, rear side like gee thanks which is nice that you know they don't blow you up but at the same time all right yeah it's just uh, it, it feels like. It feels like the level's too cramped for the amount of friendlies that you have. Yeah, there's. it starts out in a... Uh, th- this is where you're uh, ri- rushing to the ship to uh, get the arc core. Yeah, and the level starts out 
a little open. I'm not going to say open, but a little more open for that initial drop and fight. And then it's one big, long corridor rush to the ship. Uh, Cause you're but trying to stop. Timed. No, so. but it feels like you're being, you know, the, the yeah. you're, you're not being timed, but it sets it up. Like you should be rushing as fast as you can. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, and then you you get there, you're too late, the ship escapes, so then you chase after it, your fleet chases after their fleet, you yeah, well, fight... Yeah, actually the next level, but... Eh. Yeah, but you, you fight from, from ship to ship. Um, there's some pretty cool stuff there. This level's pretty memorable. Um, you do another fastball where you're thrown from one ship to another. That's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't really miss. I mean, I suppose you could on purpose, but... You know that's the 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 spectacle to get you the next part of the level, so you can't exactly miss. Um, but it still feels really cool. Um, you get to do this section with a lot of other pilots. I mean, they're NPC pilots, but they are much more capable than any of the other NPCs that you fought with so far. And they're not as frustrating as the uh, friendly Titans. I, I think mostly just the fact that you know they're a hell of a lot smaller because right, yeah. Um, so you do that, um, you board the uh, ship, the main and, ship, you, and you, you get captured, you do wind up getting captured after you fight, um, a boss who's in a flying Titan. There's yeah, a pretty cool uh, scene. Yeah. He's it, the Australian Genji force, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there, there's a pretty cool scene where that, um, you, you beat him. Like you think you beat him, Viper. but you didn't. Viper, yeah, but you didn't actually beat him, and you're outside of your Titan, and you're outside of BT, and BT's beating the fuck out of him, but BT's also nearly getting killed, and BT, like, rips or smashes the cockpit off, and then you you shoot the guy inside the cockpit and kill him. Uh-huh. That was a pretty good ending to a boss fight. Yeah, I mean, there's only, like, two bosses that have some sort of, like, big, like, send-off after you kill them. There's that one in the first one, Kane, where you know you you take his helmet off and you know, steal his radio. Which opening up that cockpit, I wholly expected a jump scare there. Was that the only one there? Uh, no, I thought that they might do a little bit of a jump scare, even if it was kind of a fake out where like an arm shoots out or something, and then he dies. Or 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 you or yo, know, he just like tumbles out of the uh, out of the cockpit or whatever. I, I completely expected them to pull something and they didn't, which thankful for, but right. Yeah, me too. I'm glad they didn't. It feels cheap to do that in a, in a game. That's not explicitly a horror game. Well, I don't like jump scares in general, but right. No, I don't either. But if at least I know that there's a possibility going in, like I'm a little more prepared for it. Uh, so you, uh, Oh, shit, now I'm blanking on how you actually get captured. Basically, uh, BT's arm gets ripped off. Yeah, so because Viper... I mean, Viper fucks up BT. Um, then you guys go inside the ship where the, the, the weapon is, the super weapon, and you you retrieve it. You retrieve, like, the yeah. core that yeah, makes the weapon right. function. And then that's yeah, how you, you, put, you... And you put it in BT's uh, cockpit... Yeah, uh, to transport it out, and you get captured. Then, yep, that's how you get captured. And uh, uh, is it Bill? No, no, it's Balder, uh, the general guy. 
No, no it's Bisque. Uh, B- yeah. Uh, uh, I, the cutscene where uh, he's about to shoot you if BT doesn't give up the core. Yep, that's that's Bisque, who is the mercenary commander. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get this text from BT, trust me. And he yeah. tr- uh, tries to kill him yep. uh, by faking him out. And then he kill he kills the other guy, doesn't he? He kills the lackeys. Yeah. But yeah. That was a good scene though. Then you get BT's memory core and you escape. Well, the well, ship. well you don't know that at the time. It's just the you know, like the emergency kit that's hidden in BT's head. Or like yeah. the yeah, the little like th- there's this like little canister and you're get and you're told to take this middle cylinder and you're given the smart pistol and the knife. Which the smart pistol is the fucking Goat overpowered, right? It was, yeah, it was, it got super nerfed in in Titanfall 2's multiplayer because it functions exactly like it does in a single player in the multiplayer of the first game. Yeah. Um, it was intended to be used to, to clear NPC fodder because in the multiplayer, there are NPCs, um, that you know, the the sold the regular soldiers and the robots and stuff that you get points for because it's several game modes are, are kind of like score scored modes. Um, and so the smart pistol was originally designed to clear infantry quickly, but I mean, it can be used to kill players just as effectively. Um, cause it could lock onto their head multiple times. And so you could get like three or four headshots with a smart pistol, which would kill players. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah, it's overpowered as fuck and it's beautiful. Cause you're like sprinting as fast as you can to escape yeah, it, the ship and you're just okay, murdering this, okay, NPCs. Okay, this, this is going to sound like high praise or, you know, a, a weird, uh, connection, but it reminded me at the final section of Half-Life 2. Where you get the super gravity gun. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, you know, it's like okay, the the uh, the wheels are off. Time to play, right? Yeah, and yeah, you, know, you, you you're getting like five or six, you know, just instant kill headshots with the the uh, smart pistol. And at first, yeah, you know, I just saw, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know it was the smart pistol. I saw I had a gun that had 16 shots and didn't show any other ammo. I didn't know what to make of it. <laughs> yeah, but right. you you have infinite ammo during this section, and every time you reload, you get a new 16 shots. Yeah. Or however many shots it is. I think it was 16. 16 or 17 or something like that. And it's talking about, you know, survive, you know, sneak, hide, you know, uh, just get away. Yeah. Right, time to go murder spree. <laughs> yep. Uh, and uh, the commander uh, uh, picks up BT's data core and sends down a new chassis that you install the data core in, and hey, BT gets a new body. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you just had this really touching death scene uh, with him. Uh, and you get a new BT with a new loadout, the uh, uh, you know heavy weapon BT. The Gatling gun. Yeah. Which you need it for this section. <laughs> you do. Um, it's it's a it's a, a slog. It's you against an army. Um, Pretty much as you fight your way through the final gauntlet um, to get the super weapon again. And it's you get to the super weapon, and I mean you're 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 dead. You're fucked. But the mercenary captain has already been paid 
for the job. And so he doesn't kill you. He's like, uh, he's he, already- he, he has this respect for you that hey, you fucked up my company. You're pretty good, kid. And leaves his business card. <laughs> yeah, he puts his business card on your your window uh, or on your cockpit window and then leaves. And the, the IMC general is like yelling at him. He's like, no, nah, I already did my job. I don't work for free. It wasn't in my contract. Yeah. And then he leaves. And I'm like, I really like that. Honestly, that feels very like to me, that feels very tabletop RPG. And also kind of uh, you know, a sequel hook. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, but so then, you know, you and BT do stop the weapon as it's as it's firing. BT sacrifices himself for real this time to save you as he destroys the weapon core. And then you have one final parkour section as you jump from, um, you know, floating rock to floating rock in the middle of this anomaly until your ship picks you up. And then you warp away. And then the weapon explodes and it destroys the planet that you were on. Oops. Um, yeah. Whoopsie. Um, and or then as TV trips likes to call it a negative space time wedgie. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that. Um, but then you get the ending credits and you get a monologue and it kind of sets up some potential stuff for the sequel. You're going to get a new Titan. You're officially a pilot now. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, uh, blah. And then there's the stinger. Yeah. Which is at the end. Um, your helmet beeps out a Morse code message, which I looked it up. It says something like, um, like Cooper, are you there or something like that? And during the time travel mission, BT puts some, some amount of his AI code in your helmet. So you Mm -hmm. can communicate back and forth across time. And so BT seems to have survived. Yeah, he pulled a data in uh, Generations. Yeah. Or, or not Generations, but First Contact. Where, yeah, copied his uh, code and... Yeah, yeah he, he, he took... He, he escaped. Yeah, but it's... it's that And yeah, that's the end of the game. Yeah. The, multi- uh, uh, the message is Jack, question mark. Oh, ja- okay, Jack, question mark. Um, So the multiplayer is... is Offline, it's dead. Um, there is a tool. I forget what it's called. I looked it up, but there's a tool you can download that lets you create your own servers and you can still play multiplayer, but official multiplayer support is dead. Obviously, that tool only works on PC. Um, you can still play multiplayer just with bots. Um, I went in and I looked at some of the loadout stuff um, and messed with it a little bit, but I didn't play anymore. I'm just really not interested. Um in, in playing the multiplayer mode, even against, you know, even just against bots. I, I'm glad that that exists so that you can play by yourself or that so you can play locally and, and you know, still have a game. But um, I'm not really interested in that. Overall, I think it's a pretty solid game that I think holds up. Yeah, it does make me wish it was a bit more fleshed out instead yeah. of, you know, having the levels basically be okay, there's this one level, then suddenly, oh, well, we're about 60 kilometers uh, further down the road, right? Yeah. I will it, say it's, I... It's very much the like the beats and highlights instead of the actual trip. Yeah. I appreciate that, though, as, a pair, as opposed to making it way too long. It, it took me five hours to beat it, start to finish. Um, I think... Yeah, my playtime 
mind you, I did uh, leave the game on a couple times to like hit the bathroom and that sort of thing. It was five hours forty seven minutes, so probably right there at like uh, five and a half. Yeah, my my playtime is well before I looked at the multiplayer a, a minute. My playtime was five hours and seven minutes, so right around five hours um, for me. And I'm probably uh, being generous, but yeah, five and a half hours feels about right. And and I think it could could have done with maybe another two or three hours. Um, flesh out that single player campaign a little more, slow down a couple of things, or add some greater characterization to some of the characters. Um, but overall, you know, I'd rather have a a tight five hour gameplay experience that I enjoyed as opposed to a 15 or a 20 hour slog. So, you know, given, given that most games tend to do one or the other and not really hit that, you know, that's that sweet spot. I prefer this overall. I'd say this is a pretty solid, like B plus game. I don't know if I'd go so far as to calling it an a minus. I think the lack, you know, the story's not long enough. There are some issues And also, it requires a backstory that's just not there. You know, you're kind of thrown into the deep end, lore-wise. Yeah, I was going to say, there are some issues because the universe just isn't really flushed out. Um, There's a few few times where the game is a little obtuse. Um, You know, the movement system is great, but there are a few times that it does kind of mess that up a little bit. And then... Checkpoint system really needed work. I didn't have any major issues with the checkpoint system, but that could just be like luck on my part. Um, like I said, there was a couple of time, well, one time in particular where I had a checkpoint where enemy was behind me shooting at me. Uh, another time, uh, just had bad luck with a being in a weird spot, putting me uh, where I had to basically pick up uh, you know, all my weapons again because. I uh, hit the checkpoint, changed weapons, went to do a jump, had a sniper shoot me in midair, <laughs> which killed all my momentum for a series of jumps. Yeah. And it was, you know, I had to figure out how to deal with the sniper, which, eh. But yeah, it felt like checkpoints were a little random on what they would do. Most of the time it was fine if I, you know, especially if I, you know, was starting for a new play session or you know I got to a point where uh, I needed some time because there was a couple times where some of the more high movement sections it made me not motion sick but you know a little queasy and I just put it down for a bit and come back and and the checkpoint would be fine Uh, did you get that or was it just me being no No, I don't. I don't usually get motion sick in games. There have been a few, but generally speaking, I, I'm I don't experience any motion sickness in games. I did not get any of that, but I could see how that someone could experience motion sickness with this, yeah, as much like especially, flying around as there yeah, is. Yeah, especially with the like the head bob in this game. Uh, I did look for uh, a setting to turn that off, but I couldn't find it. I did ex- uh, expand the field of view a bit, and that helped. Uh, but those early sections, uh, yeah, still getting used to it, uh, was a little tough for me. Yeah, right out the gate, I set my FOV to I think a hundred. I'm not sure what the max is, but I set it to either ninety uh, or hundred. Ma- the max is actually really up there. Uh, I set it to ninety six. Went to set to ninety five, but even numbers for some weird reason. 
And that was, you know, not even halfway up the scale. I think you could go like full, you know, see 360 degrees behind you. Yeah, I said I'm. I set mine at a hundred. Then I was pretty sure it's a hundred. Um, from from jump, but uh, yeah, you know, there's there's. I don't think there's anything majorly wrong with this game. There are yeah, minor things here list. or there. Yeah, and all of those things are enough to kind of drag it down to, like I said, a B minus. But I mean, uh, or B plus, or yeah, sorry, B plus. Um overall i think it's worth anybody's time to play i mean if if you you know have game pass and you've never played it play it if you don't have game pass and you don't want to get game pass you know whenever you see it on sale for like five or ten bucks buy it as long as you like you know i mean if you don't like shooters at all then you probably won't like it but you know it's it's a solid game i mean it's a solid time i'm not sure just how often it goes on sale or how deep it goes on sale since it is tied to EA's fuckery. So there is that consideration as well. Yeah. And and a lot of times for Game Club, like especially any game that has a story, it's like, well, if you listen to Game Club, you kind of fucked up on like having stuff spoiled. But because this game is so mechanics focused on that movement mechanic, you can listen to us talk about it all day and you won't understand until you play it. So there's still something to be gained of value, even if you listen to the whole thing and heard us spoil, you know, the main points of the story, which, you know, while generic, it's still. Oh, the, the sale price definitely is worth it. I, I went to, is there any deal to check out the history? Uh, It goes on sale for four bucks. Oh, yeah. hundred percent worth four bucks. Yeah. Let's put it this way. In the last year. It's gone on sale one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven times for four bucks each time. And before that, the historic low was about five. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I'd seen it for around five, five or six bucks before. Well, it looks like since May of last year, uh, they've started putting it at three ninety nine. I don't think it's worth it for 20 bucks at, at as just the single player experience, and just because you know it's such a focused on multiplayer and it's just not there anymore. Uh, did you try the fan stuff? I know you were considering it, but sorry, I kind of blanked out at that point. The fan stuff, uh, the the, the uh, community. Uh, oh no no no! I did not. No, I, I checked I, out. I, I know you uh, were thinking about it at one point, but. Yeah, I didn't. I fired up the multiplayer to just, like, look at the character class creation mm-hmm. and to see how, like, you, you know, to make sure that you could still, like, you could play it with bots. Um, but that was it. I didn't actually play mm-hmm. a match either with bots or using whatever that uh, community server uh, mod is. It's based on the mech, the name. Looks like it actually just went off sale as well for $4, like, literally yesterday. Yeah, but it, it goes on sale relatively frequently. I'm I'm sure, you know, it'll be on sale again mm-hmm. in a in a few months or so. Oh yeah, uh, I think I agree with the B plus with some of the you know minor flaws, uh, especially it's it kind of hurts to you know have that sequel hook and you know not have it resolved. I mean, there are rumblings about them doing another one in this universe, but. 
with the absolute phenomenon that is uh, Apex Legends. I mean, I know it's no Fortnite, but uh, yeah, it's that uh, yeah battle royale money, right? I think Apex Legends is number two. Like Fortnite's number one. I think Apex Legends passed PUBG I, I, for I, number two. I gotta admit, I I do not follow battle royale at all. Uh, not since my favorite battle royale shut down. Yes, I'm still uh, pine for Mario 35. What can I say? Right. Hey, it counts. It does. No, you're right. 100%. I'm not arguing. And I'm not good enough for uh, the Tetris one. Uh, there's some hardcore people on Tetris. Tetris 99? Yeah. So yeah, would recommend B+. Plus game. Yeah, uh, especially on sale. Yeah, for sure. Not sure about uh, full price. That's kind of eh. Unless you're going to buy it and and play multiplayer, get the multiplayer mod. I mean, that's just what I'm going to call it, the multiplayer mod that, you know, I don't think it's worth more than 10 bucks unless your intent is to do that, in which case, you know, whatever you want to buy it for, man, go for it. But definitely on Game Pass or definitely, you know, for for four or five bucks, 100 percent. That's a, a solid, you know, five hours, like a good all day or weekend gaming session. Well, all day for me as a, a you know, a 30 something year old man with a whole <laughs> bunch of shit to do like five or six hours. It's like, man, that's, that's a day's worth of, of gaming for me, you know, but it's, it's good. Worth it. Two thumbs up. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It would be uh, nice to see uh, the third one. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So that brings us to uh, our next game club for the month of January, which we only have three, is it three weeks yeah, left? Yeah, three weeks. Yeah, we have three weeks left, um, which is Disco Elysium. Uh, January, originally a five-week month. I'm going to have plenty of time to play this. Uh, crunched it down a little bit. But I think... You know, outside of the merits of potentially discussing the entire story start to finish, I think that there's plenty of time to get an idea for the mechanics and the feel of this game and the way that it tells a story. Yeah, uh, I have a feeling this is going to be like your game, <laughs> right? I really enjoy Disco Elysium. I haven't beaten it, um, but I did play it last year for a while. Um, actually, it was about a year ago was when I played it because I was... I was going to play it on my last trip to visit my in-laws. Um, so that's that's when I played it last. I never talked... I, actually, I think I talked about it a little bit on the podcast. But this was always like a game club mm-hmm. yeah, I possibility. Think this is one you got me last year for like my birthday or Christmas. Yeah. And just never got around to playing it. because Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Disco Elysium. Um Looking forward to to talking about that one. I have a lot of things to say as someone who both writes and plays a ton of tabletop RPGs. Um, I have some thoughts on the way that this game handles player choice that I've never seen any other game do except an actual tabletop RPG with other humans. I'm very excited to talk about, mm-hmm. oddly enough, the mechanics of this. But we'll get there in a few weeks. Uh, Yeah. So let's move on. We've got two news topics tonight to wrap us up. Um, our first news topic of the night, Sony reveals the PlayStation 5 accessibility controller. Yeah, so we talked last year, I think it was, about the Microsoft 
or no, two years ago. It's been two years, yeah. Uh, about the Microsoft one, and Sony finally uh, jumped into this uh, with uh, Project Leonardo. An interesting uh, name. Yeah, I guess Donatello was busy. <laughs> what about Michelangelo? Uh, he was too busy helping me with pizza. Good man. So a customizable uh, controller, um, sort of like the uh, Microsoft Accessibility Controller, but different. Uh, primarily, this is a, a split gamepad, ass- uh, essentially, with uh, customizable buttons that you can put on each one. And it's in, like, two rings with two giant thumbstick slash joysticks on them and yeah <laughs> interesting design it's a very interesting design honestly like i mean really i i know podcast not a visual medium you really should look this up to understand yeah. what it looks like because it's weird yeah look up sony project leonardo i'm i'm honestly i've got i can see my fire alarm uh for this room from where I'm sitting and it makes me like, it feels like, or it looks like a smoke alarm smoke detector that they stuck buttons to the outside of. Like that's kind of the vision that I had, like the best way I can explain this right off the top of my head, but you really should go look at this. It looks strange, but as someone who doesn't really deal with, with disabilities in, in this way, um, you know, I, I don't have any mobility or dexterity issues. I don't have any difficulty holding a controller or using a mouse or a keyboard. Like, Perhaps the main reason that this looks so weird to me is that I've never had to try to navigate through the world as a disabled person. Maybe, you know, to people who have probably, you know, I'm assuming like it says they, you know, got the help of experts to design this. Uh, it says in here, where'd it go? I just looked at it. All the ones I've seen uh, typically are uh been to be played with one hand, which that's why this kind of uh, uh catches me a little bit as an oddity because it still feels like it's meant for two hands and it's more for like people that are lacking dexterity versus you know being more disabled yeah so uh, it- but th- but there are ports on it to add uh the switches like the Microsoft one, yeah, but it. <sighs> It feels like this one is more of a all-in-one package, while the Microsoft one is meant to be a base unit for uh, add-ons uh, for a more customized controller. Yeah. So this one is more... Uh, I know, I keep wanting to jump in, and I'll shut up now. <laughs> right, so it, yeah, it says here that the, the controller was designed with the help of accessibility experts and specialist organizations, including... Able Gamers, Special Effect, and Stack Up. Able Gamers is the only one that I'm aware of. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this, like you're saying, this feels more like a specific all-in-one solution, whereas Xbox's thing was designed, like, they were, from the beginning, they were like, we want this to be as accessible to many as many people on as many platforms as possible. And there are configurations that exist out there to get the Xbox... Uh, adaptive controller working with PlayStation, Switch, PC, other peripherals. Um, all of their software for that is open source so that developers can can make configurations for basically any game or hardware that has a USB 
uh, port on it, which is almost everything. Whereas, yeah, the, you know, this looks like something It's like, hey, you want to play PlayStation games and maybe do a few other things? Buy this controller. And that's fine. I think there's, you know, that's that's fine. Um, yeah, the, the big thing is that it, it feels like it's lacking the customability that uh, the Microsoft aspect has. Because I'm looking at disability controllers or accessibility controllers uh, on uh, Google, and a lot of them are tying into the Microsoft one, and all of them are different. But this is also, you know, expensive to set up. That might be where Sony is going at it with a more general entry level, and then uh, doing a couple smaller add-ons to customize it to your ability. Is there a price listed on here? I didn't see one. I didn't either. That doesn't mean that I didn't miss it, but that's why I asked. Um, 550... No, oh, wait, no. That's the, for the PSVR. Did I scroll down too far? Being very... Mostly very quiet. Easy to, to cut out that silence. And I'm fucking Until you it up now. Talking. Right? I'm fucking it up now. That's the new PSVR price is $550. All right. How much is the Xbox adaptive controller? Oh, shit. Knocking stuff over on my desk again. Uh, looks like you can buy the base Xbox adaptive controller pad for 100 bucks, Brand new. Um, I want to say when it released, it was double that. I feel like it was around $200 when it released. I would I would be sh- shocked, amazed if Sony charged more than $150 for this. They they're not you know, while while the uses of this controller are positive, while it is a good thing that more people have access to hobbies that they they can enjoy, Sony is is releasing a product into a market that already has competition. And from a business perspective, they cannot, I, I just can't imagine them trying to sell this for more than 150 bucks, even if they lose money on it. Because if they do, everyone's going to say, well, just stick with the Microsoft one. You can get the same or more functionality for less money. And they might say that anyways, no matter what it costs, you know, but like they're not first to market. They don't get to set the price point on this. So, it's it's interesting, but, that's as well. also kind of, but they could also look at this and say, "Well, this is really the only option for somebody that has physical disabilities. It's either th- well, or either this or the Microsoft version." There's a few other third party ones that exist, but there's no official Nintendo one um, yet. Yeah, yet. I don't know if Nintendo I will. Do, I do really like the uh, the focus of more inclusivity uh, with these controllers. I mean, I talked about whenever the Microsoft one came out that you know, I only see it as positive that this is an option. Agreed. Uh, however, I do still have a grain of salt with corporations pushing this because, you know, right? Yeah. What it, What's interesting to me is is the route that Sony went. So Microsoft went hardware. And even built in on on the Xbox, there are some accessibility features that don't exist anywhere else. I forget what it's called. Uh, Companion mode or backseat mode or something like that. But it's where that two people can use 
two controllers in order to play one character on on Xbox um, as an accessibility function. And, you know, one person with disabilities can use that, maybe if they have a hard time holding a controller but need access to all the buttons, or you can have a friend or a a partner or a, a parent or something help. You know, Xbox has all of these features built in on a hardware level, whereas Sony's focus on accessibility options has been on the software level. And they have been pushing more and more accessibility options in their first-party titles. Um, so it's interesting to see the different routes that they have at least initially covered, um, whereas Sony is now also pursuing this hardware option. I wonder if they feel like they have to, or if this was always their plan to start with the software and then develop hardware for whatever reason. Xbox, though, also has some software things, um, although theirs is also in their store. Xbox's store... Uh, I'm not sure if it's on the Microsoft store or not, but I know that on the Xbox store on console, the digital store, they've got a long list of accessibility tags, and they're starting to require new developers, or you know, whenever games are put on the store, like they're requiring developers to add accessibility tags. And they're adding... Uh, certifications and specifications, like things that you have to meet. Unfortunately, it's still all self-reported, but they're adding things that you have criteria you have to meet. You can't just say your game is accessible because it has subtitles. It you know, mm-hmm. you have to have actual accessibility features. Um, I mean, if if you're listening to this and you're very interested in all of this stuff and you like where our discussion is headed, but you want someone who's kind of, I guess you could say, the expert in this. Go on YouTube and look up uh, Laura Kate Dale. Um, she has a show that she does called Access Ability, and it's been running for two years now, maybe three. And she talks in depth about accessibility features in gaming, both on a hardware and a software level. Like everything that I'm saying, beyond like what came from this article, I am just repeating. Because I, I watch that series, Accessibility. And so that's where I've learned everything that I have about accessibility and gaming over the last couple of years. So if you're listening to us and you want to know more, that's probably the best resource I can point you to. Other than maybe doing your own sort of in-depth research on the on this, on this the topic. So uh, anything else or outside of a slight applause to Sony? Hopefully it's... Every bit as good as it looks, in, at least in the press release. Because, yeah. right? Yep. But, I mean, the Microsoft one has gotten r- rave reviews from uh, users. So. Yeah. I will give credit where credit's due. Um, this is a good thing. I do hope it's every bit as flexible as the Microsoft one. Yeah. It, it doesn't look it to me, but they also don't show, you know, just like how many ports it has. It does say that all the buttons are completely reprogrammable and uh, they can also have multiple functions per, uh, for each button. So, Yeah. You know, credit where credit's due. I think this is a good thing. Um, even if it, you know, a flop or somehow fucked up and we don't know it yet, the fact that they're doing it, that, you know, the fact that the other, you know, Sony and Microsoft are the two overall biggest names in gaming. Like, I love Nintendo and Nintendo products as much as the next person. But it's Sony, or it, you know, Microsoft, still Sony. Like it, in year 2000. Especially yeah, it's, with their online. It's, it's Microsoft, Sony, 
and then Nintendo. And really, you might be able to put some other companies in between. But as far as the console manufacturing goes, Microsoft and Sony are way ahead of Nintendo. And I I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I do want to say, like, I don't want anybody to, like, come yell at me because I'm saying, like, Nintendo's garbage or something. I'm not. I think Nintendo has a fundamentally just different view of the gaming space. I think that Nintendo has always thought of video games as a toy. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a a bad thing. It's just Microsoft and Sony, I think, view gaming and their consoles as... And this has been Microsoft marketing for a while now. Like the whole deal between the X behind the naming of the Xbox One, supposedly, it's like you have one device for your living room. You know, it's trying to be more than games. And I feel like Nintendo is very satisfying being like, no, we're just making video games. It's just video games, guys. Come on, let's have some fun. You know, I know they're a ruthless corporation as much as the next one, but like in the marketplace, uh, uh, I think if you that's... step out of line with their copyright. Who? Yeah. But in the in the the marketplace, um, I think that that's where Nintendo falls, you know, where they place themselves in this whole deal. So anyways, yeah, I don't I don't have anything else to add. We'll see how it goes and come back to it in the future. Uh, Maybe, right? Yeah. At the very least, we'll probably mention it again, especially if it's a huge success or a huge failure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, our other. News topic tonight is there is a new MechWarrior single player game for PC and console in development. Um, in a recent interview with No Guts No Galaxy, which is the biggest BattleTech uh, podcast, um, the uh, developers, uh, or sorry, the Piranha Games president Russ Bullock um, was doing an interview. And the initial topic or the initial focus was it was asking about a possible MechWarrior Online 2 and where the MechWarrior slash Battletech license was probably going over the next few years because Piranha Games only has exclusivity of it or only has their contract until 2025. And kind of in the middle of this interview, he's like, oh, yeah, we're working on one more MechWarrior 5 DLC and another MechWarrior single-player game that will come out before we, you know, the licensing deal is up. Yeah, hopefully um, uh, the next one won't be as sad as MechWarrior 5 was on launch. Yeah. Oh, lots I, of, I know, I know. Uh, the community have fixed it, but it shouldn't come down to that. Well, so as with how many of these games go, you know, I'm just going to call it MechWarrior 6, since we don't have a title or a name or anything yet. Um, Mech Warrior Seven: The Search for Mech Warrior Six. If if Mech Warrior Six releases and its game mechanics are exactly where Mech Warrior Five is with all of the DLC, it will be a much better start. Um, it 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 suffers from that weird way that pretty much any game, mo- like most big games, release as now is like they're all secretly early access. And over the course of the first few patches and possibly DLC, they fix all the shit that's broken on release. Because even without mods, the base game, you know, I've kept up with this. I've played the DLC. I'm, you know, I'm too much of a Battletech slash MechWarrior fan. Obviously, anyone who's listened to the show for more than five minutes knows. I can't stay away. I, I can't. You know, there's just so little content out there 
for my niche hobby that what I get, you know, what I have is, is what I get, you know? And so I have to make the best of it. And so I keep playing every time there's a new DLC, I buy it. I, you know, reset my mods and, and I go for it, but I do play them stock a little bit first to see how the, how the game has evolved. And right out the gate, if MechWarrior 6 releases exactly where MechWarrior 5 is at now, following all of its updates and its DLC, it'll be a good starting point. You know, the game is not perfect. There are still issues, but they've added so much stuff and they fixed so much stuff, at least in terms of gameplay. My biggest issues are still the Mech Lab is terrible. Please fucking replace the Mech Lab. Put the MechWarrior Online Mech Lab in. It's not perfect, but that's way better than the Mech Warrior 5 bullshit. Anyways, I digress from that. The the speculation is that Mech Warrior 6 is going to be going to move the timeline forward forward cuz every DLC has moved the timeline forward. Mech Warrior 5 takes place in between 3015 and 3025, which is the third and fourth succession wars in in the campaign, sort of the original era of BattleTech, you know humanity has bombed itself back into the stone age and all of that. And you're a, a mercenary commander with your, you know, your battle necks earning money and being cool. And then every DLC has pushed the timeline forward. And so we got the, um, pushed into the early 3030s, uh, new mechs, the helm memory core, which kind of starts to reset the tech level. They did the... Um, where they basically find uh, essentially the Library of Congress, right? Yeah, basically. They find the you know, Library of Congress or Library of Alexandria or whatever, you know, insert knowledge, you know, lost knowledge base here. But um, then they, they do the Fourth Succession War, which is in the 3030s. That's where the most recent DLC has has put the timeline at. And... Don't know what the next DLC is going to be. Probably, if they keep going, probably the War of 3039 is next, which is the last major conflict before the clan invasion in 3047, 3048. And so everyone is is speculating that this next game is going to be the clan invasion, which is, by and large, the most liked era of Battletech. Um... Most of the player base was who plays now was playing then. And that was everyone's kind of like golden age, like fond memories. And so that's what everyone thinks it's going to be. I hope it's going to be that. I love the clan invasion era. Can't wait to kill some dirty clanners, but I'm excited (laughs) for it. I can't help myself. But the next tattoo I'm going to get is going to be a Battletech tattoo. I've already had my artist friend, uh, Lexi. I had her design it for me. And just like, you know, it's on my list of things. Like, get some more art. You know, I want to get some more art this year. I want to get a tattoo. And it's going to be a Battletech tattoo. Can't help myself. that's, That's my jam. That is my niche, you know, hobby thing. I don't know if I have anything else I want to say. I don't know. Do you have anything you want to say? Do you have any questions or did you just put this in? Not, not really. I put it in there just for you to gush, really. Yay. I saw it, thought of you. Thanks. Yeah, it's sort of like whenever I see a you know, big battle on Eve online, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. Not uh, not as interested in Eve anymore, though. I mean, that's a so, lie. I'm still interested, but I don't play it, so. 
Yeah, you're too busy running your cult. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. You're being a dick in real life. You don't have time to be a dick online. Well, as true. Much. Very true. But yeah, yeah, that's that's it for our news topics this week then. Um Rage, how can how can people get in contact with us if they would like to do so? Well, you could do so on Twitter with game with that uh, oh sorry, with the VGL podcast. You could uh, drop by the Discord, which you can find a link to that over at vgopodcast.podbean.com. Or you could just email us, you know, uh, good old-fashioned email, vgopodcast at gmail.com. Indeed. I Normally, we don't say what we're going to be doing in the next episode or two, unless it's Game Club. But if I remember correctly, VGL Awards is next, yes? Yes, uh... We're going to have to uh, figure out our nominees and uh, yep, fire up the fax machine. Yep. yep. I guess I better get on that, figuring out what I'm going to put, where I'm going to put stuff this year. But yeah, coming up is the VGL Awards, and then this, you know, we'll have a regular, our regular show for the, <laughs> the rest of the year, I guess. Game Club and, and normal shenanigans. But if anybody wants to contact us specifically about the VGL Awards, throw in maybe your favorite games of 2022 or some weird asinine bullshit that you want mentioned on the show, your worst corporations of the year, whatever. <laughs> what, what gaming studio did the shittiest thing with the NFTs? Oh, I've got a feeling the NFTs are going to be on our VGL awards this year for, uh, yeah. you know, base dick of the ward a year or something. Fucking NFTs. <laughs> But yeah, I just I just wanted to uh, say that in case anyone does want to send in something specifically about that, we will be having the VGL Awards next week. Um, hey Rage, why don't you uh, hit him with with them socials of yours? Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can maybe find me on Twitter. I've been silent since you know, New Year's. Uh. But still gaming with CR if you have to contact me or you drop by Steam, Caffeine Rage over there. And you've been? I have been Jared. You can find me on Twitter at JMA4707. Um, the last month to two months, other than lurking and watching Elon Musk fall apart, which he stepped down from Twitter, and there's rumors that he's going to try to sell Twitter now after losing over a hundred billion dollars on this venture. I got five bucks. Yeah. Yeah, I got five bucks. I'll take Twitter off your hands. I could do a better uh, well, job we, than we, Elon we, Musk. We, we, could, we could pull it. We could uh, do ten bucks. Yeah, we could be co-owners of Twitter. And I mean, we could we could literally do nothing and we would be doing a better job than Elon Musk. That's that's how bad he, he fucked up. It does seem up. like uh, they, uh, the uh, idea of Elon Musk being a modern day uh, uh, Edison has well really come true where uh, it's shown that he's kind of a dick and stealing people's ideas. Yeah, he's, he he makes a couple of things, steals a bunch of people's ideas, and is he, an he's, asshole. He's, he's every bit of a, as an inventor as Steve Jobs was. He's marketing. Yeah. yeah, certainly you need a good hype man, but your hype man can't run everything. Anyways, uh, on Twitter, I mostly have been. Tweeting about Battletech stuff and, uh, you know, porn. 
I've been on like buff girl Twitter a lot. And tabletop stuff. I tweet a lot about tabletop stuff here lately. But otherwise, uh, you can also find me on Twitch. Um, not me personally. Uh, Twitch.tv slash runic arts, where I, about every other week, uh, run a Vampire the Masquerade uh, tabletop game. Um, we will be playing tomorrow night. I've already confirmed with everybody. Tomorrow night, as of recording, I guess two days ago as of release of this episode. Uh, but we're, we're supposed to be playing. I've got a very meaty episode planned for them. We're doing some character development. We're doing some existential crises. I'm going to see if I can make somebody else cry. It's going to be great. Otherwise, you can uh, talk to me on Discord. Uh, join our Discord, uh, jarthur4707. You can also be my friend on Steam. I don't really chat with anybody on Steam anymore since all of my friends that I talk to on Steam, I'm in Discord servers with. But if you want to talk to me exclusively on Steam, you can do so. Won't cost you a dime. That's, yeah, that's it. Uh, as I was sitting here filling out my VTO award spreadsheet, <laughs> uh, I scroll all the way back up to the top. Uh, once again, you could contact us, Podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, get related topics. You tweet us VGL Podcast, or you drop by the Discord over at, uh, which you can find a link to that over at vglpodcast.podbean.com. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this possible. You can find more, more about that at patreon.com slash vglpodcast. And our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kim McLeod. You find his work over at incomputech.com. And as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye bye now. See ya. Bye.